Ecclesiastes 7 this evening, and Lord willing, they'll be a blessing to us as we look at the Word of God tonight, <clears throat> and I sure hope they will be. <clears throat> All right, well, if I can get my Bible flipped open here. Ecclesiastes 7, and here's what our Bible says. <clears throat> here's Solomon writing once again, and what he says, verse number one, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the, than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under the pot, under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is, thy cause, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. We're going to leave off reading right there. Let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, I love you. God, I pray, Lord, you to help us now as we take these verses and see them for what they really mean from, from your word. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to understand your word. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help me, help me remember what I've studied. And God, I pray most of all that, Lord, your word would go forth, fall on good ground. And you'd bless your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you've been with us for the past, I, I kind of added it up today, it's about the past 13 Wednesday nights or so, you're going to know that we've been in a series of messages that I've entitled, The Search for Satisfaction. Ecclesiastes, the book that you and I have been studying, helps you and I understand where you and I can find true satisfaction in life. And also, it is for you and I a great warning of a life that is, that is lived in pursuit of a vain satisfaction. Now, up to this point, the previous six chapters we've gone through so far, if I can just be honest with you, they have been pretty pretty. Dismal. Solomon, in his state of despair, has railed upon the vanity and the emptiness of, a, of, a, of life. He has looked, looked all around at the things under the sun, and all his carnal eyes can see are hopelessness and misery. Chapter 7, however, begins a turning point in Solomon's message to the nation of Israel. Now, you and I have seen glimpses uh, in previous chapters uh, as Solomon would sometimes glance up from his view under the sun to begin to view life above the sun. But for the most part, these six chapters leading up to, up to tonight have been nothing more but just vanity, emptiness, misery, hopelessness. As Solomon, as he has come to the end of his life, has realized that he has wasted, wasted his life. But now, chapter 7 begins a wonderful transformation in the heart and the view of Solomon. In fact, chapter 7, I don't know if you noticed it as you read these, these verses with me. Chapter 7, in a lot of cases, sounds an awful lot like a young Solomon as Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And in so many ways, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the imagery and the way he writes, it sounds very similar to the book of Proverbs. You know, if, if I had to title my message tonight, I, I think I would give it a title of A Life Worth Writing About. 
Solomon opens this chapter, and really in verse number 1 of chapter 7, he makes a very similar statement to, to a proverb that he wrote as a much younger man. The proverb was Proverbs 22, verse 1. And here's what he said in Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is rather to, be, rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and, and of gold. <clears throat> now, and now here is a much older man. Solomon tells us one more time in here in verse 1 that a good name is better than what he calls precious ointment. You know, in Solomon's day and during biblical days, you, the, the, the ointments and the, and, and the perfumes of that day, they always held a very high cost with them. If you'll remember over the New Testament that when Mary came to Jesus and there she broke open that, that, that box of perfume and, 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 and laid it at Jesus' feet and then uncovered her hair and, and then began to, 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 to wipe up that perfume on the feet of Jesus. If you'll remember the thing that they looked at, those disciples, they didn't look at Mary and say, oh, how wonderful of a sacrifice, Mary, that you've made. Oh, how, how, beauty is, how beautiful is the, the, humble, the humble act you've just performed. When they looked at Mary, Judas himself began to complain and say, she could have sold that and we could have used that money before a, for a, uh, for, to give to the poor and we could have used that money because it was such great value that, that most people estimate that that box of perfume was about a year's salary that she broke open on the feet of Jesus. It had great value. Well, Solomon here says that a good name is much more valuable than, than even that, the most precious of ointments that you could find in those days. Both Proverbs 22.1 and Ecclesiastes 7.1, they, they tell us very clearly that having a good name is, is, is a very valuable thing. When, I, when I'm talking about a good name tonight, what I'm talking about is the character that you and I have as we walk through this world. You know, of all the things that a man could amass to himself, wealth, power, influence, fame, a good name rises above all of those things. A good name is more important because a good name would keep its luster in the dark. A good character is the same in the daylight or in the dark. The good character is, is who you are, not only in the sight of others, but who you are alone as well. You know, we make much of reputation, wanting to ensure that you and I have a good reputation. But a reputation, in fact, can be made in just a moment by a single, a single decision. Character, however, is something that you and I make in a lifetime. If you and I would focus on our character to take care of our character, our character will take care of our, our reputation. Reputation is seeming. It's what others see you as being. But character is being. It is actually who you and I really are. Reputation is what you and I need to get a job. Character is what you and I must have to keep the job. Reputation is what you and I have, what you are, what you and I have when we come to town. But character is what you and I have when we leave. Reputation is what men think we are. Character is what God knows we are. Men may attack and destroy our reputation, but our character is something that cannot be be touched. That's why character is so important, and that's why Solomon says it's so. Valuable, You know, Solomon makes a good statement right here in verse number 1 about why our character is so important. When he says in verse 1, I don't know if you saw it there, it says a good name is better than, better than precious ointment. But then he says this, And the day of death 
than the day of one's birth. What Solomon is saying here is not that our birthday, the day we're born, is not important. I mean, we celebrate birthdays. We, we, are, we are excited at the birth uh, of a, uh, the births that happen in our family. Man, I, 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 I remember my, one of the great stories in my family is, is, is about the, the me being, I was born as the first grandchild to my grandparents in the mountains. And man, my, my, they, they, they had like five granddaughters before me, and I was born, and I was the first grandson, and they always said that what was so interesting about the day I was born is that my pa, who was a farmer, I was the only grandchild he left the field that day working to come to the, to the, to the hospital to see me there in the nursery. Because he was excited at the birth of a grandson. We get excited about births. I mean, our, our babies are born, children are born, grandchildren are born, and we celebrate those days. And, and we, have, we celebrate the birthdays. And, and Solomon is not saying that those days are not important, but, but, uh, but what Solomon is saying is that for a person, a man of good character, that the day of their death can come as a joy as well. You know, most of the time at a funeral service, a family member or a pastor or friends or someone will stand up and they'll talk about the life of the person who recently deceased. It's often called by a lot of people a eulogy. But can I remind you that right now, in this moment, the life that you and I are leading is writing that eulogy. And the character in which we live that life will decide what is said about us when the time comes for us to go. You know, Solomon, in these verses we read just, just a moment ago, they give to you and I uh, a great way in, when, in, in, in the way that which will ensure that the life that you and I are living is a life that is worth writing about. And I want to see if I can unpack these verses with you tonight and show you a life worth writing about. You know, Solomon's talking about our character. Man, ensuring that you and I have a great character. And he defines a lot of things that make up a person of good character. Let me show them to you tonight if I can. First of all, Solomon talks about how character is defined by a proper observation. Character is defined by a proper observation. Look at verse number 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. You know what Solomon is saying here is that in, in, in a lot of ways it's much better for a person to, to understand the end that is coming for all men. It's better to go to the house of mourning, to go to the, go to, what Solomon is saying is to go to a funeral home than it would be at any point in time to go to any feast anywhere offered anywhere. You know, we, 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 we like to enjoy life, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. I don't think we're supposed to walk through life as miserable people. There, but I think there comes a point in time where we can spend so much time in our, our life just trying to enjoy life that we forget that the one thing that all people have in common, that unless the Lord comes back, that all of us are at one point in time going to die. You know, we, we, when, when we go to a funeral, and I, I don't know how many of y'all have been to recent funerals. Funerals have great purpose behind them. Funerals are done to rem remember the person who passed away. We want to remember that person and honor that person. But they're also reminders to you and I that one day, unless the Lord comes back, that we'll find ourselves right there where that loved one is in that casket. 
You know, and what Solomon is saying is that a person of good character will be a person who has the proper observation of what life really is. That at one day, one day down the road, we're all going to meet that end. And when we understand that, what Solomon says towards the end of verse 1, it says this, he says, For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. That when you and I gain a proper observation of life, that our life won't be solely spent for the, for, the, for, the, for the merriment of life. We won't be constantly, constantly looking for the next enjoyment to fulfill the, the temporary pleasures of life. That when we understand that one day down the road the end is coming, we'll lay it to our heart and it will cause you and I to live in a way with the right kind of character, to live in a way that when that day comes, that, we, that, we can, that, we can, that we've died living the right way for our Savior instead of living for ourselves. Good character is, designed by, is, is defined by a proper observation. You know, Fred, I'm not here to make, I don't, I'm not here to depress you tonight. I promise you that's not my intent. But I will tell you this, that when you and I gain a proper perspective on life, it will cause you and I to live a much better way. You know, I, I've, often, I've often heard, you know, I, 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 I've often heard people make that statement. It was, it was popular at one point in time. People always wore those, 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 those bracelets or whatever that had the WWJD. And what was designed to do this when you were going to do something that you should ask yourself, what would, what would Jesus do in that situation? Well, friend, you know, can I just tell you something? The great truth of our life is this, is that at any point in time, at any given time, Jesus could come back. We could go home to be with him. And if we really understood that, that should cause you and I to live in a way that if he were to come back at this time, in this moment, that you and I don't have to stand before him ashamed when he appears to you and I. You know, friend, I, we, we, there, that, it ought to cause you and I to have a burden on our heart to live for Him, to give our life in service to Him, to make sure that we live a holy life, a righteous life, a separated life, an acceptable life, that our life is spent by dying to ourselves daily, that we decrease so that He can increase in our life. When you and I gain a proper observation of life, He will help to define our character. Character is defined by a proper observation. But can I say this? Not only do I see that great truth about character, I also see how the truth of the fact that character is defined by a sober submission as well. You know, verse 3 and 4, they, they kind of tie in together, but here's what it says. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. Now let me take the first part of verse 3 if I can real quick, and I want to talk about that. You know, if we just read that without understanding what that really means, we're going to think that having a good time and making jokes and laughing is a terrible thing. You know, I, I, that, and I, I'd hate to think that. Man, I like, having, I like laughing. I like enjoying my life. I, 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 I enjoy those things. But that word laughter that you and I see there isn't the laughter of joy or the laughter of happiness. That word laughter there is the laughter of the scorner, the laughter of the mocker. So what he's saying there is, that, can I just say it like this, sorrow is better than scorn. 
You know, it, it, you know it, it, the scorner is the one who, the, who, who, who mocks God. The scorner who, is the one who defies, who, who defies the God who loved them and the God who saved them by living a life simply for their own pleasure in life. Oh, you know, we, we live in a day where there are people who are theological atheists, right? They, they say, I don't believe there is a God. And, but we live in a day where a lot of Christians, can I just say this, are practical atheists as well. They, they, they believe there is a God, but they don't live like there really is a God. They say, they say, yeah, I'm saved. I, I believe there's a God. And yet they live their life in complete and total defiance to the God who saved them. Well, friend, can I tell you something? That's scorning. That's mocking God. And be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth that, shall he also reap, is what our Bible says. So when Solomon says that sorrow is better than laughter, Solomon is not saying that, that, that you and I ought to walk around with, with, with a sad countenance on our face looking like we sucked on a lemon before we went anywhere out the door and we can't laugh and we can't joke and have a good time. Solomon's not saying that, but Solomon is saying that it is better to understand the purpose of sorrow than to live a life in scorn and mockery toward God. Can I just tell you something? There is great benefit to sorrow in our life. Now, we don't like that. I don't like, maybe you do. I don't like it when I have to go through sorrowful times. I don't like it when hardships come my way. I don't like it when, when problems come my way. But can I tell you something? There's great benefits that come with sorrow. And a person who, has a, who, who wants to have a great character, their character will be defined by their submission in that sorrow. They won't fight God. They won't get, they won't get bitter at God. They won't turn their back on God. They'll just say, God, I may not understand it, but I'll submit in the middle of this sorrow. Can I, tell you, can I give you some great benefits of sorrow? There's some great verses in our Bible that tell you and I about the benefits of sorrow. How about, how about this? You know, one of the great benefits of sorrow is this, is that sorrow helps to reveal that the Lord is the source of our joy. The last part of Nehemiah 8.10 says this, For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can I be honest with you? There have been times in my life where I've had sorrowful times where, where, where I've felt at, at the end of the day where I was all alone, that, that everybody had turned their back on me, that I didn't know which way was up. And I have found in those moments that I had a better source of joy than any friend who I'd ever had in my life. I had found in those moments that I had had a better source of joy than, than any joke anybody ever told me, any, 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 any great promotion at work, any, any great day in my life from anybody else. I found a source in my sorrow that gave me joy beyond that, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? When you and I have gotten to the, gotten to the point where the only thing you and I have in our life is Jesus, I think that's a good time where Jesus, Jesus will show up and say, hey, if you've got me, you've got all you ever needed in the first place. And sorrow reveals, reveals that the Lord is the source of our joy. But sorrow doesn't just reveal that. Sorrow also reveals to you and I our reliance on God's word. I like Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a great prophet. He was called the weeping prophet. Wrote that great book of Lamentations. I mean, he was a man who had compassion for his people. He looked at the sin and the, and the, and the rebellion of his people and he didn't rise up against them and just turn his back on them and call a bunch of hypocrites and walk away. He wept for his people. He had compassion for his people. And I like what it says in Jeremiah 15, 16. He said this, Thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the 
joy and the rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Can I tell you what, what Jeremiah is saying there? Jeremiah is saying, I was in the pit of despair. I, I felt like everybody was walking away. I felt like everything was going bad. I had been put in a prison. I had been cast down in a pit. But I found the word of God. And there in the word of God, as I consumed the word of God in my life, I found a joy that was beyond comprehension. Oh, I found a joy that could sustain me. I found a joy that could carry me. I found a joy that helped me all the day of my life because I found that the source of my joy could be the Word of God. Oh, friend, we live in a day and age where the Word of God has become desperately scarce in the pews of America. We live in a day and age where the Word of God has become desperately scarce behind the pulpits of America. We are God's people. We're His children. And yet we don't love Him enough to find ourselves daily reading and consuming the Word of God. And then when hard times come and difficulties come and sorrows come, we don't have a foundation built down deep into our life that we can stand on and say, listen, I don't understand it all, but I'll tell you this, the Word of God told me that in all things He could get glory, that He uses all things for my good. Oh, I don't understand it, Lord, and I'm hurting, and I'm sorry, but you told me that even in the middle of my great sorrow that this trial of my faith could come forth as gold in my life. Lord, I'm just going to trust your joy, your word, and I'm going to find joy in the fact that I can rely on your word. Sorrow reveals that reveals our reliance on God's word. Sorrow reveals that the Lord is the source of our joy. But can I tell this to you as well? Sorrow also reveals the reflection of our heart as well. Paul said this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? You know, Paul's telling the people, hey, examine yourself. Try yourself. Prove yourself. Can I tell you one of the great ways you and I are proved is through the midst of great sorrows in our life. The great hardships of our life. And can I be honest with you? That's in those moments that we are tried and tested where you, you and I really see what we believe when it comes to God. You know, there's too many, there's a lot of good people and I love them dearly. But, when they, but they, are, they were fully convinced that, that a life spent uh, as a child of God would be a life spent in nothing but sunshine and rainbows and, and sunny days. And in those moments where the first storm comes and the first battle comes, they realize it's not all sunshine and rainbows. That really the Christian life is a fight. And in that fight, they turn their back and they walk away. And it revealed the reflection of their heart and their sorrow. I heard, I, one, I heard a great preacher say this one time. He said this, A faith that fizzles in the finish was faulty from the first. Can I tell you something? You and I, when we have a sorrow come, can I tell you something? That's a moment where you and I can stand up and we can really prove if what we say we believe is what we actually believe. Yes, I trust God. Well, do you, I mean, I, I, but do you trust him even in the deepest sorrow of your life? Yes, I believe he's good. Do you really believe him with that doctor when the doctor called you and gave you that terrible news? Yes, I know he works all things for my good. Do you really mean that when, you, when, when, when your family's turned their back on you and everybody's walked away from you? Sorrow. There's a benefit to sorrow because it reveals the reflections of our heart. 
It also, it, it, sorrow, sorrow, sorrow reveals our reliance on God's word. It reveals the Lord as the source of our joy. <clears throat> Can I also say this? <clears throat> sorrow also reveals the repairs of the Lord as well. I like Psalm 147 3. It just says this He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. You know, I, <laughs> I thank God that I serve a God who can reach down in the deepest, darkest pit of my life and lift me up and bind me up and mend my broken heart. And I would never know that if I never had to experience a sorrow. I would never know that if I never had to have a terrible day. Man, <laughs> it wasn't too long ago. I mean, it was, it, it was where, where people who I love dearly it was several months ago. People I loved dearly. Man, I had, we, I had to deal with one of the deepest heartaches of my life. And, it, and all of a sudden, in that deep heartache, I met a friend who stayed closer to me than a brother. And he took my broken heart and began to mend it and bind it. And I would never have known that love of my God if it hadn't been for sorrow. There's a blessing in sorrow. It reveals the repairing of God. It reveals the reflections of our heart. It reveals our reliance on God's word. It reveals, <clears throat> it reveals the, 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 the Lord, that the Lord is the source of our joy. But can I also say this? I'll move on. That sorrow also reveals the refining of our life. Here's what, here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. He said this, For though I made you sorry with a letter... I do not repent. Paul said, listen, I know I, just, I, just, I know I just wrote you a letter. He's probably referring back to 1 Corinthians where he just kind of lets them have it and they needed it. But he, but he, he said, I'm, I, I'm, I, for although I made you sorry with, with a letter, I don't repent that. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you, for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might, might receive damage by us and nothing. For God Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow that worked of the worked, the world worked to death. You know, what Paul is saying, hey, listen, I know, I know I just wrote you a letter where I just I let you have it, I ripped your face off. And I, I know, but I'm not sorry for that because it was in that moment where I made you sorrowful that you were made whole and righteous and you repented and you were made better because of the sorrow that you just experienced. And God uses sorrow in our life to refine us in the fire, to make us better Christians. There's a benefit to sorrow. And the person of good character, in the middle of their sorrow, they submit to their sorrow. They say, Lord, I don't understand, but I'll trust you. Lord, I may not have all the answers right now, but I believe your word. I'll find my joy in you. I'll trust that you'll make this for my good, for your glory. God, I, I know you're working this out to refine me. God, I understand that you're going to repair the damage done at this moment. And I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm just going to submit in this moment of sorrow. Sorrow, the, 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 the man of good character is defined by sober submission. They're defined by proper observation. But can I just say this? <clears throat> a person of good character is defined by a deferred correction. I like these next verses. Here's what it says. 
in verse number five and six, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Now this, this, these verses stand in, in stark contradiction to the world you and I live in. But what it says is this, a person of good character is a person who is able to hear and heed and then, and then repent when a wise person loves them enough to rebuke them for the wrong they've done. Now listen, a lot of people like to live in the voice of the fool. They like to hear the song of the fools. We live in a day and age where people tell you and I, hey listen, what you ought to do is you ought to follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. I, whatever it may be, just go that path because that's all that matters anyway is that you're happy in life. So follow your heart. Do what you want. And they won't hear the rebuke of someone who comes along and say, hey I love you and I just want to help you. Let me give you some wisdom to help you in your life. Boy, friend, the, the person of good character is a person who understands that when a wise person comes along to give them some rebuke, they hear it, they heed it, and they obey it. That's a person of good character. Can I just say, though, there's a caveat to that verse. It says, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise. The wise. Now, friend, what that means is this. is that I've got to put some people in my life who are wise in my life. There are going to be people in my life who I've gotten around and I've been around who are godly and who are holy and who love God and have a desire to serve God. And, and, and they're wise in their actions. They're wise in their mannerisms. They're wise in their operation so that when they rebuke me, I know they're doing it for the right reason because they proved their wisdom. There are a few people in my life and I, I encouraged my teenagers when I was a youth pastor a long time, but especially when it came to dating, I said, you ought to have somebody in your life who has complete and total veto power over any relationship you get involved in. I said, I hope it's a mom and dad, and I hope they're godly, and I hope, they can, I hope that's who that is. But if, if you don't have a good godly mom and dad, you ought to find a good godly person who has complete veto power over your relationship. But <clears throat> in my life, there have been people who have proved their wisdom prove their holiness, prove their godliness. And those people to me have become people who I look to for wisdom. And I listen to when they come to me to correct me. And because they, they have proven that they are people of wisdom. And I hope I've got enough character that when they come, and they have come before, that I love them enough and I love God enough that I understand that the reason they're coming isn't because they're trying to put some notch in their gun, some, some number on their, on their wall. They're coming because they love me and they love God and they love me enough that they're willing to hurt me so that they can help me. And a person of good character is a person who, 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 is, defined, who is defined by a deferred correction, a humble, a submitted, a willing correction. Oh, friend, can I tell you something? There are, I, I hope you've got people like that in your life. Man, I hope you've got people in your life who if they were to come, and I, there's a, he's a friend of mine, he's a youth pastor just down the road from here. His name is Steve Holly, And he's one of those people for me. And he's called me before. He took me aside one time when we were serving together at another church. And he said, Jonathan, I want to tell you something. I love you. And I'm telling you this because I love you. And then he began to try to help correct me. But he was one of my men who had proved his wisdom. And in that moment, he helped me and guided me and leaded me. 
And I hope in that moment I gained some character in my life because I had a deferred correction. How about you, friend? <clears throat> when somebody comes along, listen, we all mess up, we all fail. But if somebody were to come to you and say, hey, listen, I want to tell you something in love, what's your initial response? To be angry? To fight back? To cause issue? Or to say, man, they love me enough that they're just trying to help me. A deferred correction. A deferred correction. A character is defined by a deferred correction. Character is defined by a sober submission. Character is defined by proper observation. But let me just say this. Character, I'm going to wrap up real quick. Character is defined by measured progression. Look at these last few verses here. It says in verse 8 through 10, Better is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Concerning this. Verse 10, verse 10, Solomon gives you and I a great warning about constantly looking back in life. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? Can I, saw, can I say what Solomon is saying? Why in the world do we always say those were the good old days? Man, just the good, those were the good old days. We talk, we talk often about the previous days. And, I, and listen, I'm, I'm, <laughs> my, my kids give me a hard time all the time because I talk about how old I am. They're like, you're not old. I'm like, no, I'm getting old. But I, I find myself doing that all the time. I mean, sometimes we think about how good those days were previously. But really, all the, all the old, good old days are is just a healthy imagination with, with a lot of forgetfulness. Because, listen, the good old days weren't always so good. And Solomon says this, he says, why do, we, why do we spend so much time living in the past? And a person of great character is a person who's not always living in the past. You know, it is dangerous to live in the past for two things. To live in the past of your failures. That's a dangerous place to get to. Well, we constantly look back. You know, the devil, the devil, I don't know, he works on you, but sometimes he works on me. And he'll jump up in my ear and he'll say, he'll say do you remember when you did this? Do you remember this? Oh, listen, if they knew this about you, if they knew this choice you made, if they knew this time you did this, they'd never want to hear you preach ever again. Because the devil likes to constantly bring up my failures. But friend, can I just encourage you tonight? We don't have to live in the past of our failures. All my failures, all my foibles, all those things I messed up on. Can I tell you what happened? There was a good day in my life where I realized that Jesus Christ loved me enough that he went to a place called Calvary and he paid for that sin and he did it because he loved me and he, he took care of that failure. He paid the price and I, and I came to him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and all that stuff was taken care of and the devil may bring it up and he may try to throw it in my face but I just, all I gotta do is say, hey, you may wanna bring it up but I know the place will never be brought up ever again and that's in the throne room of God. Oh, listen, I'm so glad that while I have failed and I will fail, I don't have to live in the past of my failures. But I tell you another place you and I live way too much in in the good old days is in our successes. And while the devil may want to bring up our failures, our pride constantly wants to bring up our successes. All the things we've done in the past Oh, I did this one time. Oh, I remember this one time where I, where I, where I, where I, where I saw this soul. I remember this one time where we did this. I remember this. And we, we live in the past 
of our successes. But a person of good character will be a person who is thankful for the past, but is constantly moving forward. Listen, well, you and I, there ought to be a progression in our life. We ought to be living and serving day by day. We ought to be doing our best to constantly, every day, one more time, take another step for the Lord, serve Him another day, obey Him, submit to Him, live for Him, be righteous, be holy, be separated, soul win, do right. Be a, we ought to, we do every day of our life, we ought to be doing our best to move forward day by day by day. And a man of great character is defined by their measured progression. They're not always constantly looking in the past. They're trying to do more and move forward and go forward. And I like these verses. Because they say, I mean, that, that good character, that good name, that good name is more valuable than whatever my bank account may say, however big my home may be. A good name is more important than, than whatever job I may have, whatever influence I may have. My character means more than those things. And it's defined. It's defined by a measured progression. It's defined by a deferred correction. It's defined by a sober submission. It's defined by a proper observation. Let me just kind of wrap it all up, and I'll be done. You know, as I was working on this message, it hit me very clearly that there's going to come a day Hopefully it's way far down the road. But if the Lord doesn't come, my son and my daughter are going to have to sit down and write out my eulogy. And I wonder what they're going to say. You know, I, I, I hope that they don't have to get up there, that some preacher doesn't have to get up there and lie about me. I tell everybody how good I was when I wasn't very good. Tell everybody what kind of Christian I was when I was 10,000 miles away from being a Christian. I want to be a person who actually has a good name. I want to be the kind of person that when, that when, my, when my kids get up here, they better be weeping and crying. And just, I can't believe he's gone. I mean, they, they better be all tore up about it. But I want to be able to say, my daddy had a good name and mean it. Man, I, listen, Bible Baptist Church, I, you know, who, who knows what, what, what's going to happen down the road. But I, 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 I want, and if the Lord lets us be here together to minister together here for a while, if, I, if they wheel my casket down this aisle and put it right there, I want the members of Bible Baptist Church to be able to say, you know what? He wasn't much of a preacher, but he had a good name. He had a good name. And I want it to be true. But that's defined that's defined in, in, in my sober submission. It's defined in, in how I choose to move forward day by day. It's defined in my, excuse me, in my deferred corrections. It's defined in a proper observation of life. But what kind of name do you have? What kind of name do I have? It's more valuable than anything else you and I will ever own. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's